Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for joining us on SEN 1170 AM in Sydney, wherever you've got us on the SEN app. Come and join the show for the next three hours. 0457 736 736 is the text line. 1300 01 1170, as you know, is the open line. And this morning I'm inviting you to do a Mitchell Johnson if you want and just tee off. You don't necessarily have to tee off on David Warner because Mitchell Johnson has done an epic spray on David Warner, but I'm going to get you to tee off on any of the issues that you think needs teeing off on. And there are quite a few ahead of us this morning, starting with, of course, that huge spray. We'll get to that in just a second because it was one for the ages. He has not missed. Now, whether or not you're on Mitchell Johnson's side or David Warner's side or the selector's side, you've got to take it for what it is, which is airing some pretty, pretty dirty laundry. Um, as far as sporting tee-offs goes, I haven't seen one kind of like that for a long, long time. Meanwhile, Australia have named their squad, of course, to meet Pakistan. So the first test in Perth starts next Thursday. Before that, we've got the Prime Minister's eleven starting this Wednesday down at Manuka Oval. And there we'll learn some more questions or some answers rather about the openers that are in the frame for the West Indies series and beyond. Man, cricket just keeps on giving. Pakistan have had their own trouble along the way as well. And in T20s last night, India defeated Australia by six runs in the final match of that T20 international series, a dead rubber. So that's what's going on in the world of cricket. In rugby league... Wayne Bennett, not surprisingly, has put his hand up for the Kiwis job. Now, if you're with us last week, when all this was going on, we said, hang on a second, all of the focused focus at New Zealand Rugby League is about, on one side, possibly having a Kiwi coach for the national job. Now, I said, well, hang on a second, what about Wayne Bennett? What if he puts his hand up? Does that change the game plan and the rules that the Kiwis are looking at? We'll take a look at that a little bit closer and get your thoughts. Are we, are we joining the dots correctly on this one? Are we putting two and two together and coming up with five? Or is it just now that Wayne Bennett's in the mix, the whole thing changes? Will the New Zealand Rugby League change its way of thinking around what the priorities are, the priorities that they've set are for their next coach, now that the super coach wants the job? And let's make it clear, Wayne Bennett wants the job. He doesn't put his hand up to say, kick it to me. He's done this before and clearly he wants the job. And he's doing this through the media. 
There's a lot going on. Commonwealth Games, you may have heard in the news that the Gold Coast Mayor, Tom Tate, has finally and officially pulled out of the bid for any running of the 2026 Commonwealth Games. Ditched by Victoria, everybody's throwing their hat in the ring, but nobody's really been able to do it. And Tom Tate was never going to pull this off, even with that audacious, if not weird, co-hosting bid with Perth. I'll give him this. Ten points for trying, Tom. And you got some good good headlines out of it, some really good column inches out of this, and you had a proper crack. So I'll give you ten points for trying. But it was never going to happen. And now it's another nail in the coffin, unfortunately, for the Commonwealth Games. He said, in simple terms, it seems our Games vision doesn't align with the vision of the state or federal governments. In simple terms, what that really means is they didn't want to pay for it. And no matter how much money or support or whatever it could get from another mayor on the other side of the country or a billionaire, it was never going to happen if the state or federal governments weren't going to back it. And the state or federal governments were never going to back it. You cannot run a Commonwealth Games without their backing. He said, our dual proposal with Perth would have saved Australia's tarnished reputation, delivered billions into the national economy and given athletes and para-athletes a clear pathway towards other international competitions, including the 28 LA Games and Paralympics and then on to the 2032 Games in Queensland. It all sounds good, but that's the last you'll hear of it now. <clears throat> He's run out of puff, Tom, and... Any other mayor around the country won't have anything left to be able to say because they've all realised that without, <clears throat> excuse me, state or federal government money, the thing ain't going to happen. And that money was never there. So we've been dragged along for that one and saving our tarnished reputation and delivering billions into the national economy may need to be clarified a little bit further. Let's go straight to the open line, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. this morning. We're going to tee off on whatever you want. Now, you can tee off in a good way, or you can just start swinging. Steve, you can go first. Good morning. Well, I've got the one word out, mate. I'm having a big crack at Channel 9 for the coverage of the PGA yesterday afternoon. Of the Open? Five o'clock, yep. it's on the main channel. And then, with it, well, this is down here in the Victorian market. Without any information, without any warning, they just turned to that unnecessary five o'clock news bulletin. Hmm. You didn't know where it went. You had to find it yourself on 9 Gen, which in a lot of markets is still in glorious standard definition. Okay, this is an interesting one, Steve. So when this happened, this is exactly at the same time that I turned on. So I was doing a whole bunch of stuff yesterday and keeping my eyes on it. And then I turned on just on the scores. And then I turned on Channel 9's coverage. And I'm in a regional area at the moment. So I turned on Channel 9's, the main channel's coverage at exactly the same time that you're talking about. And they went to the 5 o'clock news, so I didn't get any warning because that's when I turned on. So then I had to go and uh, fiddle around, and I found 9Gem, which I can get in HD. And I went over there. So that's, that's where I found it. So you're saying that the normal, um, you know, if, you're, if you want to keep watching Switch Over, that didn't happen? No, I didn't see any of that. But, like, yeah. I think if Channel 9 want to pay all of this money... So to show these events, surely there has to be something that says they either start it on one and leave it on one or put it on the main channel. It's like there would have been a whole lot of people 
but maybe older folk that didn't know how to find Nine Gem or didn't know to go to Nine Gem, and they just thought, oh, okay, and they sit down and watch an unnecessary news bulletin that's repeated an hour later. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's a different one. It's the five o'clock news bulletin. So, look, I understand what you're saying. It was a co-production. It would have been a production out of Golf Australia, and it was uh, a simulcast broadcast, essentially, on Fox Sports as well. So the only way that I can think of, mate, because I, I watched that back end all the way through to its conclusion yesterday, and I thought the coverage was good. And was as a mate of mine, and so too is Paul Gow, and I thought that the commentary did it justice. I think that they're probably one of the best commentary teams that we've had for a long time. Putting that aside, where it goes and where you find it and where it should be is a different argument. And I would say the complexity around that is that it wasn't a Channel 9 broadcast. It was being broadcast on Channel 9. But when you're the broadcaster, you have the responsibility to then make sure that your viewers know where it's going. I totally agree with that. And why they didn't do that is only an answer that Channel 9 can give us. So we might hunt that down for you, mate. That'd be good. Hey, the irony of the whole thing, and I, I agree that like the broadcast itself was amazing. I watched it on Fox. Um, yep. But the irony of, of hearing um, Warren Smith on Channel 9, that just did be heading a little bit. <laughs> i tell you one thing that I, that I thought that they could have done yesterday is when you're tracking, because the men's and women's obviously playing together, and let me know if you thought this way, but once the focus started to get down to those couple of last holes on the women's, which was fascinating, and it was incredible to watch it play out, that therefore you can't, it makes it harder to go and track what's happening behind and in the men's. So whilst that was going on, the women's, Minwoo Lee in particular was finding himself in trouble, but we didn't see how he got there. Now, you can't have two broadcasts going on, but what you can do is put it in a little window, put the screen in the screen, the picture in picture. And what I would have liked to have seen is, say, on the top right or bottom right, uh, sorry, bottom right or top left, wherever it is, a little window that shows us also what's going on with the men. So I was happy to watch the women finish, and we're going to speak to Ash Buhai this morning. I was really happy to watch that gripping finale, but I would have liked to have seen what was going on live at the same time with Min Lee and his group? Well, like Fox do it every Bathurst. You know, that when, when, when there's an ad, they still have, the, they still have it mm -hmm. shown in the bottom right-hand corner. Oh, I, I love my golf. But, and I, I love my golf. And it was great that the men and women played together. But as a viewer of golf, I think it detracted running them concurrently, detracted from both events, because we only got to see half the both events. Um, and there's no way around that. Um, if oh, they want to run them together, they're going to run them together. Yeah, no, there's, there's ways around it, mate. There's definitely ways around it. They're hard and they're difficult and you'll get slammed either way. And believe me, I've been in that position. So there's ways around it. I personally would have liked to have seen what else was going on with the men's group behind and it would have been vice versa. If the men were finishing and the women were behind there, then I would have liked to have seen that. Um, but there's definitely ways around it. But I appreciate that one, 300, mate. I'll, I'll, we'll see what Channel 9 are thinking and, and why they didn't let anyone know. Um, but I reckon it's just gone through to the keeper and it's probably a bit of a clash between 
what happened with the fact that it was on Fox and Nine at the same time and you can't speak to one audience while you're speaking to two, if that makes any sense. Any sense. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is the open line number. As I mentioned, the Women's Australian Open champion back-to-back, -back, Ashley Buhai, will join me a little bit later on this morning. Bryce McGain will have everything covered in cricket. Alex Brosk will be with us to talk football and Larry Canning to wrap up the Australian Open. So, Mitchell Johnson, as I said, has not missed on David Warner. He said, does this really warrant a swan song, a possible farewell test at the SCG, a last hurrah against Pakistan that was forecast a year in advance as if he was bigger than the game in the Australian cricket team? These are Mitchell Johnson's words. It's been five years and Warner has still never really owned the ball tampering scandal. Now the way he's going out is underpinned by more of the same arrogance and disrespect to our country. Like I said, he hasn't missed. Also suggested that fans in Sydney will have to bring cuts of sandpaper to wave in the same way that the fans in the stands did with red hankies when Steve Waugh played his final test. He said, what will fans bring for Warner? Bunnings would sell out of sandpaper. Ultimately, an international cricket career is not just about your statistical achievements with bat or ball. How you held yourself and how you played the game will live long after you depart. In response, Chief Selector George Bailey, who Johnson also questioned about whether or not him and others were too close to the playing group, said, I hope he's OK, which is a pretty good slapdown. But then he also said this, my only observation would be if someone can show me how being distant and unaware of what players are going through and what the plans are with their team and coaching staff, how that's more beneficial, I'd be all ears. As in, if you can tell me why what Mitchell Johnson is saying when he has nothing to do with the playing group, is unaware of what we're planning and what we're doing as a team and as coaching staff, if you can tell me how that's going to be beneficial to this team then I'm all ears. But clearly, he's saying when you're that far removed from the group and what's going on, then we shouldn't be listening because there's no benefit around it. We still think that David Warner is in our best 11 players to win the first test. That's what George Bailey said, and they have selected him. Let me know your thoughts on that. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line or 0457-736-736, that text line. So Wayne Bennett's declared that he's in interested in taking over as coach of New Zealand. As we know, former Kiwi captain Nathan Kayla, Stacey Jones are the leading contenders for the position. I'm just trying to work out here if the New Zealand Rugby League and their CEO, Greg Peters, is on the same line of thinking as to why they didn't want to go down Michael Maguire, but it will entertain a Wayne Bennett. Yes, Michael Maguire is now coach of New South Wales. And yes, that's got a direct influence, if you like, on the pathways of an Australian player. Here's what Greg Peters had to say last week on SENZ about the Michael Maguire situation and also where they were thinking or what they were thinking in terms of which way they wanted to go and why they didn't want to go with Match. 
first and foremost, we absolutely wanted to keep Michael. It was his decision to step away from the job with the Kiwis. He's done a fantastic job over the five years he's been in the role. And obviously um, the recent victory against Australia and winning the Pacific Championships first time is, uh, was pretty special for the group. The two roles, very difficult to reconcile when you've got team in Australia that many people would put ahead of the kangaroos and at the top of the pecking order. Um, as a pathway team in Australia and reconciling that with where we want the Kiwis jersey to be which is top of the top of the pecking order, preeminent status of international football and we want someone who's 100% focused on that role and not having half an eye on, a, on an Australian pathway team over the ditch. Well, I don't like to call it an ultimatum as such but, but we certainly aired our views and it's not just uh, you know my view or the board's view, it's uh, strongly held view amongst the current player group and and a number of former players that we spoke to that the two roles were incompatible. So they were the reasons why Michael Maguire wouldn't be considered essentially. I mean, it was an ultimatum in the end and, and Michael Maguire had to make that choice and he did so. But then on the weekend, Paul Conlon has said that the coaching appointment is five months each year for Michael Maguire. It's from March the 1st until July each year for 2024 and 25 and possibly 26 as a trigger for a third year. So the New South Wales job is a five-month contract each year, March until July. Wayne Bennett next year, which would be his last year, would have a 24-7 NRL coaching job. And, of course, they don't play until October. So I'm just wondering if they're thinking now, hang on a second... Our priorities, which is what we said last last week about Australian pathways, remain. But would not Wayne Bennett have an influence anyway on where a player could play and what path that player could take, either state of origin, Australia, New Zealand? It's just like they kind of wanted it both ways on this one. And they've made their choice and that's fine. And Madge has made his choice and he's happy with it but he did want to continue with that New Zealand coaching job. And now that Wayne Bennett's in the picture, the New Zealand Rugby League have said, well, I think we should consider who the best coach is going to be. It's an interesting scenario, that one. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number, 0457 736 736. You can tee off this morning if you want. Speaking of golf, there's a fair bit going on there that will affect you. If you hit a golf ball on a weekend or during the week if you're a club golfer, just a part-time golfer, there are rule changes coming that will not only affect Tiger Woods, not only affect Scotty Scheffler, it'll affect Joe Blow out there hitting a golf ball. It'll affect me. It'll affect every single ball that's sitting in my bag. It will make them obsolete. I'll tee off on that after this. Welcome back, 0457 736 736. Pedro says on David Warner, why does Candice have to jump to his defence every time? He needs to put on his big boy pants, says Pedro, because she's his wife um, and also has platforms and wants to defend her husband. I I think that's probably the (laughs) the most simple way I can put it. Have you caught up with what's going to happen in the world of golf and what's happening now that these plans from the R&A and the USGA are going to be announced this week. So I want to know what the rulemakers of golf are thinking 
because the keepers of the rules of golf globally will announce this week a rollback that will put simply shorten the distance you can hit the golf ball. Now, I'm no, I know that we've got plenty of part-time golfers who listen to us, plenty of probably good golfers who listen to us. But this is about shortening the distance that you can hit the golf ball. It'll hit shorter than you're hitting it now. I'll go into the details and specifics a little bit later on, but basically the plan is that all golf balls will be deemed non-conforming, illegal, if they don't meet the new regulations. In effect, how far every single golf ball can travel will be limited. Rolled back. It'll apply to professionals in 2028. It'll apply to everybody else, you and me, from 2030. Now, Keegan Bradley has been testing a new Srixon ball under what they are planning is the rules and regulations, and it's got to do with swing speed. He's been testing one, and he's hitting it 40 to 50 yards less with his driver. So a pro golfer is hitting it 40 to 50 yards less with his driver. The rulemakers decided there won't be one rule for the pros and another for amateurs. There will be one rule for everybody. Two years apart, but one rule for everybody. Bradley said, for the amateur world to hit the ball shorter is monstrous. I can't think of anything more stupid than that. Ricky Fowler has said, why take the game and knock it back when it's in the best position it's ever been in, especially after COVID? He said, I don't see how when we're at the best place, you go, oh, you love the game? Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us over COVID. Now we're going to make you hit it 20 yards shorter. Have fun. 20 yards to you and me. Tiger Woods thinks it's the right thing to do in the pro game, but not for me and you. He said, we've been hammering that the ball needs to slow down. And he goes into the points where running out of space, all that stuff. And we've gone ahead of the curve in terms of technology and how far they can hit it. He said, it's kept speeding up my entire time on tour. And here we are. I've always been for one rule for us and something different for the amateurs. He said it's just like having wooden bats and the metal or aluminium bats in baseball. So wooden bats for the pros, you can still use aluminium when you're a kid. So this will affect the weekend golfer, the part-time golfer, the pro, the club golfer. It will affect every single ball that's sitting in your bag, making it obsolete. It's the only sport that I can think of, especially a sport that prides itself on distance, where going backwards will be a policy. And this from a sport that's tried to make players play faster. Would Olympic sports put a cap on world records? Would the NFL say you can't throw a 30-yard touchdown pass anymore? We're going to limit it to just 20 yards, even in park footy. Would the NRL say, Nathan Cleary, we're going to put a limit on how high your bomb can fly? I wonder why the game of golf is deciding to penalise every single participant. Me and you. Plus, Tiger and the rest. I'm happy for them to do it in the pro scene to an extent, but why then roll it out everywhere else? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but it's coming. one one 1170 is the open line number. 
Let me know your thoughts on that one or 0457 736 736. Here's the news. Righto, let's talk golf. Uh, 0457 736 736 is the text line number or 1300 1170, that open line number. Larry Canning is on the line to wrap up the Australian Open, which is a hot topic of discussion this morning. Larry, good morning to you. Uh, let's start with the women. I'll have Ashley Buhai on the line in about an hour's time, what a way to defend her title. And boy, didn't didn't things start to change at the back end of, of that round? It was fascinating, Matt. I mean, the whole tournament was just, it was a movie script. It was a, it was a bit of Agatha Christie and Quentin Tarantino, I think, combined. It was, it was, it was great, riveting, and then shocking in places. Um, I, think it, what, what's, I think what's been missed with Minji's last round there Matt, is she double back? I, don't, I haven't been listening. I'm sorry, mate. I've been working. But um, she she double bogeyed the 13th hole from the middle of the fairway. Uh, Ashley Buhai, they were both in the middle of the fairway, Ashley Buhai, and I think there was two shots in it at that point. Ashley Buhai left her shot a little bit short off the false front, rolled back down the fairway. Minji Lee had the chance to knock it on the green, was downwind, surely with a, with a short pin. It was a little hard to get close, but... Just get it onto that green, make four at the worst, because that's a tough up and down. She did exactly the same thing as Buhai, came back off the false front. She made a double bogey, Buhai made bogey. So it was actually a one-shot swing the opposite direction. And that was the difference, I felt, because going down that stretch, clearly Ashley was not on her game. Um, she didn't have a birdie the entire day. She shot four over that last round. Uh, Minji had every chance to, to run her down and just couldn't make the putts at the end, but it was that double bogey that... That, that did it for me. I couldn't believe she made that mistake. Yeah, so a final round 69 for Minji at minus eight, and Ash Buhai just, just holds fire, didn't she? As you mentioned, a 75 to finish, but she won. I thought the advice that she was given by her caddy on approach to 18 was was absolutely critical because the wind started to pick up, Larry, didn't it? And she said her mm-hmm. final words to Ashley was, let the wind be your friend here, which is, which is something... I mean, it's a pretty gutsy call, isn't it? Because there's water on the right. You go long, yeah. you're in trouble as well. But that's pretty good advice. Yeah, the wind was coming off the right too, Matt. So yeah, to get it close, you've got to use the wind, which means you've got to hit it out over the water a bit. So it was a gutsy call. Um, but she is a natural drawer of the ball. So, you know, she just I think the, the message was, just play your normal shot. The wind will help. It'll be fine. You can aim you know, at the edge. It'll be fine. It'll turn. And it did. And that was a great shot. Minji Lee's shot was... Oh, sorry, Minji Lee's shot was interesting now, wasn't it? Like 30, 30... I'd say 20 yards too hard, too far. Interesting. Yeah, she's clearly not as sharp as she can be. But, um, yeah, it was just a case... It was interesting to watch because it wasn't a birdie fest like the men's was. Eagles and birdies everywhere. It was just a grind for them both. Um, and, and, they, and you know, I think Ashley Buhai, we've seen her do that before when she won the British Open. She had a triple bogey in her last round in that mat and still won, still grounded out. So she is a gutsy player. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's not an easy one to win and it's even harder to defend and Ashby High has done that and gone back to back. So then we get to the men's. Let's deal with the Aussies first and then we'll get to that incredible playoff. Um, you, take on Cam- <laughs> you take on Cameron Smith. He 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 started his charge. He, he pushed his way up and there was definitely an improvement from the week before. And Adam Scott is a massive case of coulda, woulda, shoulda. 
Um, but a, a double bogey there really just, just killed his chances. He finishes in a tie for fourth. Well, he was leading. It was a triple, Matt. It was a triple bogey. Sorry, he was triple, leading yeah. that. He was two shots in front, and he only had three holes to play. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he had a, a, a downwind eighth hole. Part. He was hitting off the back nine, which is kind of weird as well, watching that. You know, you can. You, there was potential there for someone to be putting out on the ninth green to win, and someone putting out on the eighteenth green at the same time with a chance to win. There was there was the prospect of that happening. It's a, it's a strange gig. It is the Australian Open. We need to get used to it, I guess, because the, the government funding is what's keeping the Australian Open alive. Thank God, love them, um, and they they need men and women and and the, all of these players playing. Um, to make it, uh, you know, political success for them. So look after the sponsors. That's our Australian Open format from now on. If, if it is, let's get used to it. We love it. We embrace it. But that's the, the irony of, of that, that T-shirt Adam Scott hit on, on the seventh, which, which was up against the fence, the netting, and there was some confusion. The netting, which is the, the driving range, Matt. The confusion was how he could get a get a could he get a free drop from the netting? No, because it's out of bounds that the, the driving range. And the second point about that weird ruling was he it's the it's the exterior edges of the bars that hold that netting that determine the out of bounds line. He was up against the netting, but not but not beyond it. So he was assuming that he was in bounds and trying to work out how he could hit a left-handed shot to get away from it or take a, an unplayable drop. But then the rules official comes up and gives the worst news. It was like watching that, that you know, the Olympics when that the Australian girl was was walking oh, yeah. to victory. Jane Saville. And then yeah. <laughs> the guy ran out with a red, yeah, that's it, with yeah. a red card and said, you're out. Well, it was like watching that. This rules official comes up and says, oh, Adam, you're out of bounds. And he has to go back to the tee and <laughs> he was gutted. Oh. And, and we all were because um, you could see the passion, Matt. And it was interesting to watch. Uh, Adam Scott's final round because he was getting energised. Each time he made a putt, he was getting a little more energised, a little more. And when he made that putt on the sixth hole to take a two-shot lead, his fifteenth hole, he fist pumped and come on, and you know it was a he, he was a, he was aroused, ready to go. Um, and and it's interesting how many tournaments this guy has won, majors, Australian Opens, you know everything. Um, how much this means to him, and how much it means to all the Australians, and that's what drove this these two weeks of these tournaments was how much it means to the Aussies to come back and play. And we saw the effect it had on Cam Smith last week. It's brilliant to watch. Adam Scott, you, you want, you, just to end that, that long-winded point I was trying to make there, Matt, you won't see him at a drive like that for the rest of his life. That was a shocking thing. High snap hook, that's miles offline. But it, it spiced up the day and poor Adam, he took it well. He takes it on the chin like he always does. He's gorgeous. I love him. He's gorgeous, isn't he? He's gorgeous, mate. <laughs> He's a gorgeous bloke. I'm sure he's been called that quite often. Um, now, so that leads us, not, that not, leads not us to... Not by a 60-year-old golf Not by you that often. So, so then let's summarise uh, Neiman's win in all of this because, as we know, essentially he, they drop Minwoo Lee out of it. Um, it comes down to Rukuya Hoshino and, and Yoko Neiman, and Neiman's there. He had to wait around and wait around and wait around. I thought it was interesting on the coverage... Larry, that they showed that when Neiman went um, to hit some balls while he was figuring out whether or not he needed to be in a playoff, mm. he went straight to his pitching wedge, essentially. And ironically, aside from his rock-solid drives down 18, they were the two shots that got him in there. And the final approach shot that he played 
was something that he played. I reckon if we saw it ten times on on him on the uh, mm. on the range while he was waiting, that's what he was up to, and they were the shots that he replicated. Not to mention the putt, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Either way, Matt, if he misses, if he if he drives it in a bunker on the trees on eighteen, it's very tight. It's a very tight driving hole. He's chipping out and having a wedge for his third shot into that green. So either way, he was needing a short iron to, to practice, whether it would be second or his third. Um, that second shot he hit, uh, oh, well, how many second shots? He hit three unbelievable second shots to that 18th green. In normal play, that iron he hit was something about an eight iron, I think, or seven or an eight iron. Um, when he dropped out of the media, uh, dropped out of the hospitality mm-hmm. tent, that covered maybe 5,000 people. I mean, that was just underneath <laughs> that golf ball. Yeah, it was just it, and over buildings. It was Superman stuff over, over trees. But the shot he hit, his final shot, Matty, that, uh, if he, that, I mean, to, you had to be there to see how tight that flag was to the water. That was only like maybe six feet, seven, eight feet maybe, from, from the right edge of the water. The wind coming off the right, I mean, he had to draw that in. He had to start it over the water, draw it back exactly five feet and, um, and, and pull it off. And he did it pretty well three times in a row. He, he's a gutsy player. And it meant a lot to him, too, because of all the world ranking points. And I'm sure it's been discussed on your show uh, before this. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. We've run out of time, mate. An extraordinary uh, weekend of golf or week of golf. In fact, a couple of weeks of golf. And thanks for, for giving yeah. us your time throughout it, mate. I know you've been really busy, so really appreciate it. Thanks, Larry. Absolute, absolute pleasure, Matty. Thanks for having me on. Larry Canning joining us there. So Jochen Neiman is the Australian Open champion. Ashley Buhai is the defending and now back-to-back Australian Open women's champion as well. So congratulations to them. And we will have Ash Buhai on the show. And Lachlan Wood won the All Abilities category as well. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is my open line number. Back after this. Welcome back. Let's go to your text messages this morning. G'day, Matty. I watched the Australian Open on Fox and thought it was brilliant, but I agree with you that it was a bit disappointing not seeing some key moments running in the women's and men's event on the same broadcast, which is tricky, isn't it? For a moment there, it looked like both brother and sister Minji and Min Woo Lee would both be champions. That final day yesterday had everything, and I do feel a bit for Adam Scott. Simon from Balgowney. Yeah, it was a triple bogey. That's right, on the seventh there for Adam Scott. And I thought um, Larry put it well, saying it reminds you of Jane Saville, doesn't it? (laughs) When It was like, oh, no, really? Agreeing with Mitch, says Tony on the text line. Selectors are weak. Agreeing with the Channel 9 thing, but we are forgetting that the golf was sensational. And I thought Srixen was a wicketkeeper. S. Rixon, thank you for that. Matt says, Macca from Maitland, you would ask or you ask, would the Olympics put a limitation on the athletes and how fast they can go? Did they not do this with the super suits in swimming? Um, it's not that anything new that other sports haven't done it. Well, a different scenario. I see what you're saying, Macca from Maitland. Yeah, but super suits were a different kettle of fish. They weren't available to everyone at that level. They weren't trying to stop world records per se. They were trying to equalise the field and in Olympic final have it at least that um, there was some form of equalisation across and parity, if you like, across. This is different. This is really different. This is saying to every golfer that you've got to go backwards. I'm happy for them to try and do it in professional scene, but I don't understand why you would do it 
for everyday golfers. And let's not forget what it means for the used ball market because they would all be non-conforming. Now, we're all not going to go out and play there and say, hey, mate, have you got a proper ball? Because if you shoot, you know, two over today, then it doesn't count. Like if we're just messing around. In competition, it will. And this is the interesting thing. The ramifications across the world of golf, we're not talking one or two golfers here, talking millions. It's really, really interesting. Another one from Macca says, while we're on law changes and blow-ups, I still can't cop the change in community rugby laws recently announced of reducing the legal height of a tackle to below the sternum either. Madness for senior rugby, and I debate the data being accurate that this will reduce head injuries. Madness. That one from Macca. Well, we can get into that. Um, we haven't had a good look at that one because that did come out across the weekend, essentially, where they're going to lower the tackle. And in the simplest terms, we can go through the, deba- uh, the debate and the data there and its accuracy. In simplest terms, these contact sports of rugby union and rugby league and AFL have to work out a way to stop contact with the head. It's just that simple. Now... Whether the laws are radical, whether they start in community, whether they work their way up, it's going to be, I think, hit and miss along the way, pardon the pun. But they've just got to work it out. Pedro says on the golf scene, pros, yes, hackers, no. Simple. <laughs> well, that's the way they were thinking, Pedro. That This is the thing. This is why it's not simple. Because they were initially thinking pros, yes, hackers, no. And then they changed it to pros, yes, Hackers, yes. Everyone. And why you'd peel it all back is really weird. Uh, Thank you for that. The golf ball rollback will be beneficial for the best ball striker in the history of golf. T.W. Tiger Woods. Uh Uh-huh. There's another one. Have you seen the vision of Tiger? He has bulked up deluxe. He's massive. I mean, (laughs) when he was dominating the world scene. He was bigger than everyone else and stronger than everyone else and did more time in the gym and all that kind of stuff. He's come back and he is huge. Uh, On the cricket, Mitch, 100% on the money. Warner isn't bigger than the team. His scores apart from the 200 have been ordinary. You get picked on form. If he fails before Sydney, I'm sure he could always um, parade everyone for the sympathy vote. Well, he can't fail. Well, he can, sorry. Yeah. They start in Perth next week. Um and the outcome for David Warner would be to have a farewell test at the SCG if it falls that way. Why do I doubt Warner and George would give a rat's what Mitch says about them, says Bondi Jack. I tend to agree with that. And judging from George Bailey's comments in particular, I think he sort of hit it straight back over the fence at him. Thank you. 0457 736 736 is the text line number, or give us a call this morning on 1300 01 1170. A very good morning and a big welcome to our listeners on SENQ693 in Brisbane joining us for the first time here on the morning program this week. Uh, Boy, there's a lot for us to talk about today. Welcome back on 1170am in Sydney. Wherever you're tuned in on the SEN app, you can join the conversation at any time. A big lineup of guests. Bryce McGain will cover everything in cricket. Ashley Buhai, the Australian Open back-to-back golf champion, will be on the program in about half an hour's time. So let's see how the celebrations went yesterday. I want your thoughts on the Oz Open Golf, the summer of golf in Australia, off the back of the PGA at Royal Queensland, into the Australian 
at the Australian Club and the Lakes as well, the Australian Open, that is. Mitchell Johnson's epic spray of David Warner has certainly got our attention and talking points this morning. What have you made of this? What should happen next? Is Mitchell Johnson right in any way, shape or form? Should he be making these statements from afar when he's not part of the playing group and hasn't been for a while? And what do you think about the possibility of a farewell test? It is no certainty that Dave Warner gets a farewell test at the SCG. And I reckon we should point out too that it was not so much a demand. Now, he has said that he, he said it publicly and quite a few people, and I agree with this, say, well, you're putting pressure on Australian selectors and everybody when you make it public. But I wonder too, on the other side of that, what else is he meant to do? David Warner. There are some that just don't want him to get it. There are some that didn't want him to play for Australia again. There are some that say, you know what? Dave Warner has been a, a fabulous servant of the game and of the Australian Test team over many years, and perhaps he deserves this kind of farewell. Mitchell Johnson does not think so at all, 100%. And he's gone nuclear on it in his column in the West Australian newspaper on the other side of the country. And, of course, it has created huge waves in the world of cricket. Uh, 0457736736 is the text line. Let me know your thoughts on that. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. George Bailey was also in the firing line as well, um, the chief of selectors, and he's hit back along the way. So let's have a little bit of a listen of what George Bailey has had to say because Mitchell Johnson put his in print and it was there, no problems. He's had said what he wants to say, but now the reaction has come back from George Bailey. And this was uh, referencing whether or not or, or the whole scenario behind David Warner wanting to play the whole summer. Here's George Bailey. You know, clearly Dave's w- would like to get through the series and, and finish up in Sydney and, um, you know, fully respect that and understand that from a playing point of view. I think we've been pretty consistent, um, you know, around the fact that, that with with any player, performance-wise, it's, it's how they perform as an individual and then how that performance actually fits into the function of the team. Um, and, and that won't change, um, you know, there's a number of reasons why, you know, the, we get the advantage, I guess, of having a, a home test series and, and being able to sort of name a squad test by test um, and not specific to Dave, I think all players, it's about performing and, and how that fits into the team that will determine um, the makeup of, of a side in, in any given test. They've been very consistent with that message and that consistent message was all the way through, you've got to say, Uh, the Ashes series, and then off the back of the ODI World Cup in particular, and then into this series. So they've named their 14, no real surprises there. And you would think that all things being equal, if Dave Warner can stay amongst the runs, then he'll be there for that SCG test. In response to Mitchell Johnson's comments, this is what George Bailey had to say. No, I've been sent little snippets of it. Um, Yeah, I hope he's okay. Does that comment suggest that you think Mitch is not okay if he's making such bold statements like that? I've got no idea. So trying not to buy into it too much, but he he did point out to essentially saying to Mitchell Johnson, well, I don't know what benefit it can serve when somebody from outside the group with no knowledge of the group can make these statements and be beneficial to the group. 
He said, my only observation would be if someone can show me how being distant and unaware of what players are going through and what the plans are with their team and coaching staff, how that's more beneficial, I'd be all ears. So I reckon George Bailey in particular shot that one down pretty good. I mean, Mitchell Johnson can say what he wants. There's no problems with Mitchell Johnson having the platform to say that and no problems for me with him saying what he thinks about the current setup. He's probably, well, absolutely in a much better qualified position than you or I, but there's no problem with George Bailey fighting back either. And for that matter, I reckon David Warner fighting back. You throw it out there, you're going to get it back. James from Hornsby's on the open line. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line. G'day, James. Your thoughts on this one? Yeah, Matty. Um, no one can... If anyone honestly believes it was only those three involved in the sandpaper, you know, they've got, they got no brains. That whole team, they, there's a lot more players. Warner's, whether he was one of the main instigators or not, but he's probably part of it, but he's been the one that's had to cop all the flack. But his problem is he should have kept his mouth shut of when he wanted to retire because now that just makes him look like he's arrogant. Okay, it'd be nice to go out and uh, score your, score a ton on your SCG in your last game. But he should have just kept his mouth shut, kept playing, and the selectors would have told him the week before and gone, well, look, if you don't score this run, this game, we're going to have to drop you and bring someone else in. And then turned around and then said, right, well, this is probably going to be my last game. And then announced it. You know? Yeah. He should have look, just I, kept I, his I, mouth I shut. Think, I think that that's... Mate, I, I think the way... There's the Sandpaper Gate issue 2018, that's separate. And, and, and a lot of people will continue on that one. And, yeah. and I don't know if we'll ever get to the absolute bottom of it, mate. I'm not really sure about that. So, But I also don't think that there's been um, a decision made off the back of David Warner saying it publicly that an SCG test is his. I, I just don't think that that would be the case. I know that they would obviously consider it because... If he's throwing it out there, then of course it's going to come into the way of their thinking. But I don't think that they've said, well, it doesn't matter what happens, you'll just be in the team. I think it's I think it's a bit to play out before we get there. Yeah, but Matty, yet. that might, you could be you're probably right there that the selector mm. said, you know, aren't taking that into effect. But it's what the public perceives it to be. Mm. That's the problem. See, he's then because he's been made out as the number one for the sandpaper. That's tarnished his reputation. You think of before that, everyone loved him when he was smacking 100 in real quick succession. You know, so everyone loved him. Then the sandpaper, everyone hated him, but he's not the only one. And now he's come out and said that, and they've just gone, well, hang on. You know, it just puts a bad PR out there for yeah. it instead of just going, well, no, I'm just going to keep playing my game and then turn around and go, that's it, you know, I've had enough. Yeah. That's it, I've retired. What does what a player, anyway, you know, the other thing is, why do players need to have, you know, a big send-off from their last game? Why? <laughs> what are they going to get out of it? Everyone waving well, bye-bye and, oh, well look, done. Look, I'm going to play, 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 play devil's advocate here. I'm going to play devil's advocate, right? And if somebody came up to me, and my backyard was the Sydney Cricket Ground, and that's where I grew up, and, and somebody said, to, and I played 100 tests or whatever, and somebody said to me, hey, mate, there's a chance that you could play your last test at the SCG. Would you want to do that? That would be the last one. What a perfect way to go out. I'd say absolutely, mate. And if, I, that's what I'd say. Right, okay then, Matty. If I was the elector and you yep. said that to me and you said absolutely and I turned around to you and said, well, 
You're not more important than the team. Your scores aren't no, no, good no, enough. No, We've I... got a young guy here. We've got to bring him in. No, 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 no. I totally get that. I totally get that. And I'm not saying that I'm, I would say, yes, I'd love to play at the SCG my last test because I'm better than the team or my, I'm more important than the team. I'd be saying, yeah, that'd be the perfect way for me to go out if I'm in the team and if I've got the runs on the board to make the team and if I fit in the team. That's what I'd be saying, mate. I, that's what I'd be saying. But I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm not a David Warner. I'm not in that situation. But that's the way that I would say. So I, I think that when we look at the public perception, yeah, that's one thing. But I'm sure as hell convinced that selectors don't make the selection of the Australian eleven based on public perception. I think they've got some pretty hard and fast rules. So I reckon there's a little bit in between the middle of that. Thank you, James. Always fascinating to chat to you as per program, mate. Appreciate it. Let's get the thoughts of Bryce McGain, who's on the line and has been listening in. G'day, Bryce. G'day, Maddie. Great to be catching up with you again. And it's a whole different uh, aspect of cricket now, isn't it? Uh, which we hit the Australian summer. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the test team and everything that's going on. So can I just get your thoughts on what's going on? I mean, it's not the first time that we've had a former player have a dig at a current player. It won't be the last time. But Mitchell Johnson's spray was, was right up there um, on David Warner. He, he certainly didn't miss. What do you think of all this, the way that it's played out here? Uh, look, yeah, look, Mitch is terrific, I think, because he does speak his mind. That's his view, um, which is that it wouldn't be dictated to. And I think that's the underlying part. As selectors, if you're selecting a team, it wouldn't be dictated to by the player who wants to go through to um, his last game being at Sydney, which is a few tests away. Um, yeah, look, I'm open to... to hearing the views of, of many. I, I, I think it's good and healthy um, that we can do that. I think he struck a point that, and I, I looked through social media and then looked at the response to it, and I think by and large, a lot of people support it, support the fact that um, Dave Warner d- doesn't necessarily now have that right to be able to do that. The selectors are in control, though, and if they want to ch- make a change, then they're well within their rights to do so. They haven't chosen to do that. Um, and they've chosen to, well, certainly for the first test, Gone ahead with Dave Warner. Yeah. So does it come down to the regular rules? I guess this is what it what it all boils down to, Bryce. Do the regular rules apply here to say if you're not getting the runs, you're not in the team, regardless of what you would love to do? Because every cricketer would love to play more or play le- uh, bow out in a certain way. But it, will it just come down to selectors saying to Dave Warner, you've got to prove yourself that you're going to have to be there by the SCG test? And I think that happened uh, when he went to India, and I think it happened when he went to the Ashes as well. And I think he did an adequate job in, in the Ashes. But uh, you know, the stats—if you're going hard on stats—you know, he was probably probably down at the maybe the twelfth or fourteenth ranked batsman in the in the whole out of both teams. So um, stats will, won't won't tell a great story, and they're not really supportive of Dave Warner. I guess. Um, the, the, the part that might be is the, the legacy and the, the job that he has done at the top of the order, the form that he's in currently, um, which is one-day form. Will that translate into the red ball? And they're the type of decisions that, that need to be weighted into the, that, that decision matrix, I guess, that they come up with and then select that final team. Um, yeah, look, it, it's it, it's not always as straightforward. 
I'm comfortable with him being selected there. I personally don't have an issue. I think he's, I think he's a, a batsman in good form at the moment, um, from one day form. But uh, yeah, the answer then being, does that translate across into this first test? So regardless of whether it's David Warner's test career comes to an end in Perth, in Melbourne, or in Sydney, <laughs> Australia still have another. The selectors have probably. Uh, an even bigger discussion to have. And this one's going to dominate the next couple of weeks. And it'll start on Wednesday with the Prime Minister's 11. It's probably already started with the Sheffield Shield games in particular that we saw the back end of last week. As to And then there's the shuffle part as well as to what Australia does at the top of the order when Warner's not there. Yeah, well, they have some pretty healthy options. Marcus Harris, although missed out in his most recent Sheffield Shield game, uh, the Victorian. Uh, WA, who came to Victoria, I suppose is a good way to put it, homegrown in WA. Um, I, I think he is the incumbent there, in, in next in line in, in that opening slot. Uh, and then, of course, there's, uh, for the second time around, Matthew Renshaw. And I think he's a much better player than when he was a, a young man coming into that Australian and opening the batting. So second time round, I think he's got um, some good claims to make there. And Cameron Bancroft has continued to be in the runs. And that's what's often reflected back to these players who want to make the, the higher claims to play in the test team is that the currency is runs and you need to score runs. Now, Cameron Bancroft does it in a way that um, has a few of the, uh, I guess, the more astute judges looking at his technique and saying, gee, how does he keep making runs? Because it is a bit outside in on the drive and there's a few flaws there. But what he's able to do is, is keep scoring. And, uh, and he's doing that better than most and doing it in all forms of the game as well. So he's got, and he is in that Prime Minister's 11. So the three of them are in that Prime Minister's 11. Um, you know, there's, there's some discussion around, does Travis Head go to the top of the order and then allow someone like a Cameron Green to bat at three or four, where he has done mostly for his WA state. So there's lots of movements that can suddenly occur should the case be that uh, when, if and when uh, Dave Warner wraps up, it might be Labuschagne to the top, and then uh, that that then opens up a, a whole other uh, selection decision as well. So that there's lots and lots of options that that um, that have been discussed around the movement of just one player and the retirement of one player. I reckon these are the times, Bryce, that selectors earn their money, don't they? I mean, they, you know, they're constantly thinking and constantly juggling. But when you are faced with a big decision like this one, which is at the top of the order, and you, you've got the opportunity maybe to shuffle, maybe to bring somebody in, maybe to bring somebody back, this is when they really earn their stripes. And it's going to be a hard decision, I reckon, either way. What did you make of uh, the inclusion of Lance Morris? So the wild thing, back into the squad for the summer. Yeah, look, I, th- I think it's good. And, and it was uh, discussed by George Bailey, the, the chairman of selectors, to say we want to have that when he makes that transition. It's not to say that he'll be into this test match, but when he makes that transition into the Australian team uh, and test selection, we, we, we want him really familiar with the environment and the coaching staff and the players around him. And I think that's that that's a great sentiment for all players to be familiar with that next environment. So it's not a sudden, I've got a meet and greet and then I'm playing in uh, a day's time. I think it's really worthwhile. I think he's got some genuine firepower. I think it uh, challenges the batsmen in the nets uh, as well, um, leading into it. So it sharpens up the, the, all the batting group uh, to be at their absolute best. So I like the inclusion. There is another WA quick that uh, in my team, if I was selecting, 
I'd have him a nose ahead, and that's Jai Richardson. I think he's an outstanding prospect. Now, unfortunately, he's had hamstring surgery. He's hurt his shoulder again in October. He's come back in the first game back. He took five wickets against uh, Queensland last week. Um, he has an incredible first-class record, uh, an amazing first-class record, over four wickets every game, averaging around 20, um, moving the ball uh, away at pace from the right-hander. Um, he's an incredibly skilled. Even though he's lean and, and rapid, It's that uh, he's just got all the attributes. So he's one that wouldn't be too far away, but certainly supportive of Lance Morris being in that test group. Absolutely. There's always plenty going on. Good on you, Bryce. Thanks for your time this morning, mate. Appreciate it. Good to catch up, Matty. Have a good one. Bye now. You too. Bryce McGain joining us there. Give us your reaction on that. Uh, 0457 736 736. And, of course, overnight Australia went down in the final T20 International Series match, a close one against India. So that series ends up India 4 one in the five-match series there. I'll get to your texts and calls. NBA, NFL, we've got plenty to update on this Monday morning. Uh, on the text line, Glenn says, if Cricket Australia is serious, they should give Warner his farewell at the SCG, no matter how he goes in the tests beforehand. He's saved plenty of players over the years from being under pressure because he's put the Aussies in a great position after one session. He put the pressure back on the opposition and the rest of the team has reaped the benefits, that one from Glenn. Uh, thank you for that, Glenn. Now, just on the golf scenario and this rollback, um, the golf ball rollback. So if you missed it earlier, and especially for my listeners joining us on SENQ693, it's a hot, hot topic in the world of golf where the bottom line is that this week the golf's rule, rule makers, the r and and the USGA, will announce a rollback that will shorten the distance that you can hit the golf ball. That's the easiest way I can say it. The plan is that all golfers, in 2028, professional golfers will be under the auspices, essentially, of a new golf ball, a different conforming golf ball. And in 2030, it applies to everyone who plays golf around the world. And it limits the distance of the ball through swing speed methods but it will limit the distance of the ball. Keegan Bradley's been trying one. He's hitting it about 40 or 50 yards less with his driver. Uh, They're thinking that amateur golfers will hit the ball 20 yards less. So they're going backwards. Now, there are a myriad of reasons as to why they're doing this. They did think about just doing it for the pros, but then they decided to do it for everyone. So you'll hear the word, which I haven't heard too much of, bifurcation. Um, that both Tiger and Rory have spoken about, which is essentially, why couldn't he just split it in half? Have one for one and one for the other. And that that was one of the original plans here, that the pros would operate under different circumstances. Rory McIlroy has taken to social media and he said, I don't understand the anger about the golf ball rollback. It'll make no difference whatsoever to the average golfer and puts golf back on a path of sustainability. It will also help bring back certain skills in the pro game that have been eradicated over the past two decades. The people who are upset about this shouldn't be mad at the governing bodies. That was me this morning. (laughs) I was mad at the governing bodies. Oh, what the hell are the rule makers thinking? He said they should be mad at elite pros and club slash ball manufacturers because they didn't want bifurcation. As in the elite pros and the manufacturers of the ball didn't want it just for one group only. 
The governing bodies presented us with that option earlier this year. Elite pros and ball manufacturers think that would negatively affect their bottom lines. You think we play with the same stuff you do? The game is already bifurcated. The game's already split, according to Rory, into us and them. They put pressure on the governing bodies to roll it back to a lesser degree for everyone. Bifurcation was the logical answer for everyone. But yet again, in this game, money talks. So he's saying the elite pros and the ball manufacturers think that their bottom lines will be affected by this. The bottom line is, and then that's triggered off a whole stack of debate, the bottom line is that all golfers around the world, whether you're a pro, whether you're a a mid-handicapper, whether you're a hacker, will be hitting the ball less, shorter distance, less distance. How do you feel about that? Let us know. Uh, we will speak about what happened on the course yesterday at the Australian Open with the women's champion, Ash Buhai. It's going to join me after the news. Well, as we mentioned, it was an extraordinary day at the Australian Open Golf Club yesterday where the Australian Open Women's Championship went back-to-back to South Africa's Ashley Buhai, who joins me on the line this morning. Good morning to you, Ash. Congratulations. How was last night? Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, it was good. Especially by the time I finished up at the Australian, it was a little late, but um, met some friends and family that had been out to support for the day for a really nice dinner. It's always hard to win in the first place. It's even harder often, no matter where you're playing or what competition you're playing in, to come back and defend that title. So what, is, what does this one mean, that the way especially, I reckon, that you had to grind that out yesterday? Yeah, it's very special any time you win um, any tournament. But to go back to back, you know, I kind of, obviously it was a goal coming into this week, but I think because I didn't put too much pressure on myself to try and do it is maybe why I was able to achieve it. And the fact also I was I was staying with uh, family. My sister-in-law lives here. I have my niece and nephew around me. So, you know, when I got off that golf course, it was like switched off golf and I was just in a really relaxed environment and, it's my last tournament of the year, and I just really try to enjoy it. I heard what you said um, after your victory on the 18th green there, and, and you spoke about just how you, how difficult you knew yesterday was going to be, and it and it sort of came down to, okay, well, they've got to chase me here. So can you talk to me about what kind of mindset you go into in a final round, knowing that you've got the chases after you and, and how you've got to stay mm-hmm. solid throughout it? How do you put yourself into that frame of mind? Yeah, you know, having a, a three-shot lead over GI and I think it was seven over MNG, you don't want to play defensive golf. Um, so, you know, my mindset going into any round is to stick to what I'm doing. I have steps and processes when I'm at the golf ball and in my swing, and that's all I focus on. Um, and I think yesterday, knowing the conditions were tougher, I love playing in wind. I think that was in my favor. Um, but saying that the, the way the wind blew was a little tricky for me. I hit a fade. The will have left tucked pins, so I was kind of always hidden and away from the flag. So at times I could have got frustrated knowing I couldn't get it close to the hole. But again, I just played my game and said to my caddy walking off 11, all right, they've got to chase me. Let's just stay patient. Don't push. Um, just play my game. And that's what I did. 
We're talking about the win. The other thing that I noticed there was what your caddy said to you before your last approach on 18. And and the wind was starting to pick up, Ash, wasn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, it was starting to get a bit feral there. And then it, it ended up raining by the time that you guys got off the course. But your caddy said to you, just as you went to address the ball, let the wind be your friend. Now, to me... Right. (laughs) To me, as a a hacker golfer, the wind would scare the life out of me and I would think the wind is going to put it into that water (laughs) on the right-hand side. So to you, you utilise the thing that would scare the the bejesus out of most of it, most of us. Yes, at the time and the situation, it was an in-between yardage for me. I had to hit about a 75-metre shot, which is a little sandwich. And obviously under pressure, you know, hitting delicate shots is always a little bit more difficult. And with Menji having hit it long, you know, over the pin, having a long putt, we knew we only had to get it to in an area. And that's why I chose then to take the shorter club and 60 and just absolutely hammer it. And that's why she said, let the wind be your friend, trust it. Use the wind to let it get to the left part. She said, let's just play left of this flag and use that wind to get it up there. And it was a great call for her. As soon as I hit it, I said to her, great call. That's exactly what we needed to do. <laughs> what about playing at the Australian and the Lakes? Of course, you you played the Australian first round, then you went to the Lakes second round, and then you end up obviously at the weekend at the Oz. The format itself of everyone mm-hmm. there, the all abilities, the men's, the women's, all in over the over the two courses. It's quite unique. What? How do you how do you sort of um, encapsulate everything that that played out across the week? Yeah, it definitely is unique, um, but it's fantastic that we all get to play in one venue. People get to see the best of the best, and you know, in all aspects. Um, you know, playing on the different courses, I think, can sometimes be an advantage or disadvantage depending on which day you get it, which way the wind's blowing. But it's just part of it. Um, I think this year there was you needed to adapt a bit more. The Australian and the lakes, just different grasses um, in the fairways and the lakes being very undulating greens, they had to keep them a little slower. So you have to know that you have to adapt and be okay with that. Um, but, you know, just both in their own sets, fantastic golf courses. And like I said, for us to all play in one venue, I think it's just a, what a great format. Uh, and I'm assuming that you would have had some, you know, a lot of media, and you would have got whisked up to the club and had to have done a whole bunch of stuff. Or did you manage to keep your eyes on what was unfolding after you guys? Because the playoff was pretty extraordinary in the men's. It was. Um, I had to do a few little quick uh, media off straight after, but then managed to watch the playoff. Um, and then, yeah, unfortunately, the weather came in, so we couldn't do the presentation, you know, in front of everybody. But, um, yeah, it was always busy <laughs> straight after the tournament. You get whisked away. Like I said, I only left the golf course just after 8 o'clock last night. Just a final one. We've been having the discussion this morning, and I'll put this to you as a professional golfer, about the rollback. Um, it's been a hot topic of conversation. I'm sure it was a hot topic around the mm-hmm. locker room as well. And, I mean, I, I come from it, obviously, from a very different perspective as to how you would come from it and the way that you would hit the ball. Are you a fan? Have you wrapped your head around this? Um, what do you think about it? I'm not a fan of it. I think there's going to be a lot of pushback from the players. Um, you know, yes, I think it's such a small percentage of the game. It's not even in the women's game. It's just the men that are hitting it so far. And, yes, and you know, these courses are being maybe unplayable. But there's other ways. We can grow the rough up. We can quicken the greens. I think it's taking a step back. I understand 
maybe we need to hone in technology going forward, but to roll it back, I think, is not a good idea. Mm, that seems to be a, a general consensus about, from what I'm reading and seeing from a lot of pro golfers, is to your point, there are other ways to consider, but they're going straight down the swing speed and the ball itself. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's for a conversation differently. Yeah. We don't need to get all political with you because you've got yourself a <laughs> nice shiny trophy to take home. Congratulations on the victory, your second in a row, of course, um, an outstanding performance right across those four days at the Lakes and the, and at the Oz as well. So you obviously enjoyed your summer of golf here and we appreciate your time this morning. Congratulations again. I did. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. Ashley Buhai, thank you for your time this morning. So, And further to that part there that Ash was saying, there are other ways. I mean, we haven't dug into those other ways this morning, but once you start reading out there about the thoughts of fellow pro golfers around the world on this rollback situation, there are other ways to look at it, but they're going towards uh, the golf ball itself. 0457 736 736. from the Lake says, I'm not the biggest golf fan in the world, but isn't it the main aim to score the lowest shots possible to win the game? Why are they trying to make an already hard game even harder? Well, the, the thought process is not around the fact that it changes that you have to shoot the lower score, it's that they're running out of space. <laughs> That's the way to put it. They are running out of space. They're getting too big for the game that's in front of them. And as Ashley Buhai just points out there, mostly, of course, it's the men. They're just hitting it too long, especially for those courses um, outside of the US in particular. And let's not forget that the amount of space available to plonk golf courses and expand golf courses is shrinking as well. So there are holes. That's just one or two of the points that come into all of this. And then the delivery of it's really going to really going to turn some heads. We need to take a break. We're back after this right here on SEN. Welcome back. Okay, let's do an NFL and NBA update. Well, NBA, there are no games being played at the moment because the in-season quarterfinals are tomorrow morning between the Pacers and Celtics and then Kings and Pelicans. So they're tomorrow morning and then afternoon. And then the other quarters on Wednesday will be Bucks and Knicks v and then Lakers v Suns. So that's what's happening in the NBA at the moment. NBA 2K24 is out now. We'll see you on the court in NFL. You can catch every NFL game this season with Game Pass only on DAZN, nflgamepass.com is where you need to go to. So, week 13, we've got uh, quite a few games going underway. Well, three games at the moment. Um, Buccaneers lead the Panthers 21 10, 21 points to 10 <laughs> in the fourth quarter. The Eagles and 49ers. This is an interesting one. So, the 49ers are leading that 28 points to 13. Um I'll get back to that in just a sec. It's not actually that game. It's another one that I'll refer to. And then the Rams and Browns are currently locked at 13 all with the Packers and Chiefs still to come later on this afternoon. So that one's still coming up. And then in overtime, Colts have beaten the Titans 31-28 and Falcons defeated the Jets 13 points to eight. And I noticed in American publications that the NFL is going to use what they call a flex on a Monday night football schedule. 
the Chiefs Patriots will be booted for the Eagles Seahawks. So they have their schedule over there in the various networks, but Monday Night Football has a flex scheduling rule. So they can rotate certain matches. And in a league first, the NFL did implement that flexible flex, they call it, rotating a Monday Night Football matchup for competitive reasons. So the week 15, the Philadelphia Eagles will now play the Seahawks on December 18, so the Monday Night Footy stage. That replaces the Kansas City Chiefs' visit to New England, which will therefore be flexed out. So what they're trying to do here is just get a bigger game that has, I guess, more riding on it into a different spot. And they've got the ability to do that under the NFL rules. So for Sunday night footy, the flex rule may be used up to three times between weeks 5 and 14 and at the NFL's discretion during weeks 15 and 17. For Monday night footy, it can be used in between weeks 12 and 17. For Thursday night footy, pretty much the same. And then you've got to start flipping flipping it around in scheduling windows. So we quite often get to the stage in rugby league in particular, don't we, where we go, oh, shouldn't that be that game and shouldn't that be that game there? And shouldn't we have that on a Thursday night and that on a Sunday night? Well, a lot of these are set in stone at the start and then they sort of go a week ahead or thereabouts. But should the NRL perhaps look at a flex rule where the guidelines... I don't know what the guidelines are at the moment, so forgive me on that one. But when I saw this, my instant thought was the NFL's got some flexibility with its broadcasters here around what goes on a Thursday night, what goes on a Monday night. Perhaps that's something that we could look at, a little bit of flexibility. I mean, very, very American in the fact that they give it its own name. Its own rule's got its own name, the flex rule. But it adds another dimension, I reckon. Not a bad one at all. What do you think about that? Let me know your thoughts. Tony on the text line says, funny how Mitchell Johnson thinks he can comment on players' careers when he's had only one good test series and crumbled over a few hilarious chants. At least Warner scores runs against England, not for them like Johnson has. Thanks, Tony. Um, the reaction to what Mitchell Johnson has said has, has been wide and varied. And those who were around through Mitchell Johnson's test career, and you may remember too that, you know, he, he had some quite emotional sort of episodes, really, is probably the best way to put it. That are saying, you know, there was somebody here who's very was very sensitive to criticism throughout his career yet he's okay now to have a swipe and have a go. He played 73 tests for Australia. In fact, he played 153 one-day internationals. Um, But now he's got the typewriter. He's got the computer over there at the West Australian newspaper, and he's not afraid to use it. So it hasn't been lost on those that were in and around the game when Mitch Johnson was in the test scene or in the Australian scene and the sensitivity that he had at that time. And let's not forget, he's using some pretty strong words. So that hasn't been lost on quite a few people. You too, Tony, on that one. Matty, I 100% agree with Rory McIlroy re-lost skills. Everyone today is brought into the game by hitting as long as you can, find the ball, and hit it again. We want to see more skill, ball shaping, technique, technology, um, 
technology only brought players closer to Tiger, not to their abilities. Well, Tiger has said that from his time in the professional game that they've got longer and longer and longer and they've never stopped. And you're right. They had to work out a way to then try and catch him. And a lot of the courses were Tiger-proofed, or so they thought, (laughs) to try and make them longer and harder for Tiger. Paramat says, I'm an ideas man. I've got an idea. Why not cut the size of the golf head by 25%? Why not reduce the diameter of the golf hole by 50%? Why not limit the number of clubs you can have in your bag to four? Obviously, no one has thought outside of the box for this one. Yeah. Well, also people are saying, well, hang on a second. This game has has made it, tried to make it a policy where we play faster. Tee it forward. Play faster, faster, faster. We've got to keep moving. And some are saying, well, hang on a second. Now, if you're making these approach shots even longer, they're going to be even more difficult to get closer. And therefore, you have more of a chance of finding a ball in the bush than you are on the green if you're hitting it 20, 30, 40, 50 yards further back. If you're hitting it with a five iron instead of a nine iron or a pitching wedge. So there's that too that this has gone into. Dive on a social media. The debate is quite fascinating because it's coming in from all directions. We'll be back after this break. Welcome back to the program. Alex Brosk joining me soon. Uh, A-League to wrap up, especially from the weekend. What about that match between Sydney FC and Perth on Saturday night? Two-hour delay at halftime because of the weather. And you got the feeling, too, at the Australian Open Golf yesterday, had they gone another hole or two in the men's playoff, that they would have run into even more weather because it was coming thick and fast. We will do that very soon with Broski. But as I mentioned, Tottenham Hotspur and Man City have drawn three all this morning. And quite a a fight back on this one. And also a little bit of controversy around it as well. So Arsenal lead the way on 33 points. Liverpool on 31 now. Man City on 30. Aston Villa fourth on 29. And Tottenham fifth on 27 points. Here's what coach Ange Postacoglu had to say, the Spurs manager. No, it was an entertaining game, I think. uh... There was plenty in it. Um, we were lucky to be in it at halftime, to be fair. Um, you know, City could have blown us away during that period. Uh, <clears throat> bit similar to us last week against Villa, actually. But we hung in there, second half, <clears throat> a lot better. Um, a lot more control, uh, a lot more belief in the team. And, you know, we get a we get a reward for that, which is, is great for the lads. Ange Postacoglu there. So a football wrap coming up. We're happy to continue the discussion around golf, golf balls, the rollback of golf balls, which is coming in in 2028 for pros, 2034, the mere mortals who have to hack their way around the course. It just means that we're going to hit it shorter, folks. That's that's the bottom line out of all of it. And, of course, the Mitchell Johnson article uh, in the West Australian newspaper across the weekend has caused all sorts of um, hoo-ha in the world of cricket. Former Australian captain Tim Payne, as you know, is on SEN in Tasmania. And he had his say about this on his program this morning. So let's play you that and I'll get your thoughts off the back of what Tim Payne has had to say. At the end of the day, he writes a column where he's asked to give his opinion and he's given it. Now, whether we agree with it or you agree with it or anyone agrees with it, it doesn't really matter. It's Mitch Johnson's opinion. And, and what we want in sport and in commentary is people that give their opinion. What we can't then do is shoot them down when they give it. Well, if you went through what he said, I think a lot of his article, he raised some pretty valid points. The George stuff, I didn't love. I thought that was a bit unnecessary. 
if I'm totally honest. But was George too quickly from a player to a selector? It's a valid question. He obviously thinks he was. I don't. I worked with George. And I think anyone who knows George would never question his integrity or his professionalism or his ability to do that job. And I think he's done an amazing job. You go through the Warner stuff. And again, Mitch raises some great points. Statistically, David hasn't been playing well. And would other people be getting the run that he is getting right now? Probably not. But he's got credits, in my opinion, he's got credits in the bank because he is one of the all-time greats. And we saw enough in the World Cup to suggest that his best cricket is still there. But yeah, I thought a lot of the stuff... I, I didn't agree with it all, but I found myself reading it and asking myself the question. And, that, and that's basically what you want in an article if you want to put it in a newspaper, isn't it? Very well said, I think, this morning by Tim uh, Payne on that one. He's got the right to say it. We don't have to agree with it, but he's certainly got the right to say it. And I think, too, on what, just in pure batting terms, just on pure form terms, now it's hard to take ODI World Cup form and have a look at that. But what else do you take? But in pure batting form terms, you've got to say that Tim Payne's bang on. David Warner did enough in the World Cup to warrant a look at selection in the squad, for sure, for the Pakistan Test Series. Would we be having this debate if David Warner didn't put it out there publicly that he wanted that SCG or would like to have that SCG test as the last one? I mean, of course he's going to put that out there. And I don't think we would be having this debate right now we'd probably still be having the debate about Davy Warner because he's a divisive character. It's just that simple. But would we be having a debate on whether or not Mitchell Johnson's right or wrong in this and should he and shouldn't he? And I don't think if there was an answer to the question about David Warner wanting to finish it up at home at the SCG, if we never heard that, perhaps we wouldn't be having this discussion. Let me know your thoughts on that. As I mentioned earlier, the Gold Coast scrapped its bid to host the 2026 Commonwealth Games after it failed to generate the support from the state or federal governments. And as I said, the Gold Coast Mayor Tom Tate gets 10 points for trying for me on that one. And so too does all of the other mayors that put their hands up. But there's no point putting your hand up if you don't have the backing of the state or federal governments or a mixture of both. And they they never had it and they were never going to get it. So in simple terms, they said, our game's vision, this is the Gold Coast Mayor, doesn't align with the vision of the state or federal governments. He said he'd been overwhelmed by support from local sports administrators, businesses and athletes, all wanting to see the event saved. And then talked about the fact that the dual proposal with Perth would have saved Australia's tarnished reputation. Which all sounds very good. It all sounds very good, but let's cut to the chase on this one. There's not going to be any support from the state government of Queensland. And if there's no support there, there are no Commonwealth Games there. So you can run around as much as you want saying that you're going to save the tarnished reputation of Australia, which I don't know is internationally tarnished. They just bailed out of a bad political call with a political exit of something that nobody really wants to pay for these days anyway. It's just that simple. And now the circus that's gone around the Commonwealth Games in 2026 and we'll do it and we're going to save Australia from international reputation of pummeling has thankfully gone. Unfortunately, 
that leaves the Commonwealth Games in a massive hole, a huge hole, and I just cannot see the way out of it, which is a real worry. Uh, Eels Muzz on the text line says, I went out to the Australian Open yesterday, first time back since pre-COVID years. Amazing atmosphere, and the mixture of the women's and the men's tournament is an absolute winner. Next year, I'll go on the Saturday as well as the Sunday so I can follow more groups. So that's great, Eels Muzz. That's awesome to hear. The um, crowds around the 18th looked looked unreal. I mean, it's a great amphitheatre at the Australian there at the final hole. And the crowds looked terrific. And then the drama that played out with the men's playoff and two playoff holes needed with the weather changing. Unfortunately, Minwoo Lee got dropped out of that playoff. Can you imagine when that, if that was at play as well? Would have been amazing. It just kept going and going. Big Ted here, Matty. I play off 11.4 currently in golf. Without much thought on the new regulations, I'm not too worried. Just means more long iron shots. Bunkers I've been flying will come back into play. And keep in mind, it's the consumer that sets the market prices. It's whether the high-end Japanese and USA market accept it. This will be the true gauge. All righty. Thank you for that one. And uh, you're right. Bunkers are going to come into play more. Anything shorter is going to come into play. Let's talk football with Alex Brosk, who's on the line. G'day, Brosky. Um, a lot going on. Can we start with that bizarreness that played out on Saturday night? You never know what the weather's going to throw up, but a two-hour delay? Oh, man. What a, what a bummer. But they got through it, and Sydney FC end up with a 3-2 win. Yeah, it was a, a crazy night, and unfortunately for me, Neve and Archie there on the sideline, uh, yeah, couldn't yeah. didn't get an early mark. We had to wait around like the uh, like the rest of them, but the crowd stuck around, which was fantastic. And thankfully for them, they got to see Sydney uh, get the points in the end. But uh, yeah, not overly convincing from uh, from from Sydney. I um, yeah, I, I guess after the first half and the way things were going, probably expected things to go on, and Sydney. With that delay, would have hoped as well that um, you know they could have gone straight back out there and continued on with the job. But it gave time for Perth to, to regroup and, and um, get their act together a little bit, I think, because they didn't show too much in that first half. And um, you know, in the end, Sydney scraped through. But yeah, crazy night. Yeah, absolutely. And just on the Sydney performance, though, so time is something that you just mentioned there. And we've been speaking to their players about the change since Steve Corica was shown the door and Ufuk Tele has taken over, about how much time they need to get things up and running under the new sort of, under the new structure, so to speak. So did you see enough there to say that they're turning the corner to do what, what they're going to do under their new manager? Look, I saw enough uh, in the first game, and I know it's easy to say because they won convincingly down in Adelaide 5-1, but for me, and what I'm hearing is that the style of play that Ufuk Tale wants, uh, wants out of the squad is more um, you know, in your face, it's more pressing, it's a lot more high tempo with and without the ball, and that's something that coaches generally need a full pre-season to develop because as a players, they need a, a certain level of fitness um, to be able to carry out that game plan. And unfortunately for, for Ufi coming in three games in, it, it's, it's a, it is tough and he does need time, but it's, it's how he manages getting the players up to scratch physically um, while still carrying out, you know, the game style that he wants to play. So I do think the, I've seen some, some signs in that first game, but since then they've been quite flat. And I do think it's because of how hard he's working them. But ultimately, I mean, the players that can uh, that can handle it and can go with the the you know tough training that they're going through at the moment, 
they will see the benefits from it uh, later on. And the ones that can't will, will fall away, unfortunately. But look, the way that he wants to play, that's the part that I'm excited about. I'm excited about the high-pressing Sydney, um, you know, and, and more aggressive. So it will take time, but I've definitely seen enough, uh, you know, to think that they will be there at the end. Other results, Melbourne City beat Newcastle 2-0, Central Coast 2-all with Melbourne victory, Phoenix beat Western United 1-0, and the Brisbane Roar drew with Wanderers 2-2. So um, that puts Brisbane, what, third on the ladder with three wins and three losses. Your take on where the Roar are, of course, we're beamed live into SENQ 693 in Queensland. So your take on where the Roar are sitting there in third? Well, they deserve to be up there. I think that the style of football they're playing um, has been exciting. You know, in the coverage um, in, in their most recent game against the Wanderers, I heard, you know, the words Raw Salona, um, you know, mentioned a couple of times. And obviously they're not quite there uh, in terms of how they're playing just yet. But I think the fact that fans have a lot to be excited about again, it's been a while since a, a Raw team has played, you know, this uh, this type of football, this exciting brand of football. And, Look, I think the Mariners uh, really set uh, a blueprint down for, for what any team can achieve in the league, you know, regardless of, you know, whether you're a, a club that spends a lot of money or not. I think if you get the recruitment right, if you get the style of football right and the coach right, then, you know, with those three things alone, you can really build a successful season. And the Roar at the moment, anyway, uh, are looking great. They, they, uh, they probably should have held on for a draw uh, for a win and, and will be disappointed not to have been able to against a a very good side in the Wanderers, but I think credit needs to go to Western Sydney as well with how they're going. Um, these two sides are playing great football at the moment, but the surprise packet really has been for me, Wellington Phoenix. Um, you know, they, they've sort of just been going under the radar somewhat, not anymore given they're top of the league, but, you know, scraping results away from home um, and then at home being extremely clinical and, and, and great to watch as well. Um, so a good couple of new managers um, that we're seeing in the league in, in, in the top three spots at the moment. So the Phoenix on top, uh, as you mentioned, 14 points, so four wins and the two draws and no losses. So them and Western Sydney yet to drop a game this season. On the, on the, on the New Zealand side of things, we know that Auckland are going to come in, so therefore we'll have a second team competing with Wellington Phoenix. And it's been announced that Terry McFlynn, who you'll know very well, is going to be the man in charge of football for the new Auckland A-Leagues club, the director of football. It's a huge job. Um, where on, <laughs> where do you start? I mean, where do you reckon Terry's got to start here? Oh, good question. I mean, from, from the ground up, really. You know, he's, he's looking, uh, they're looking for a coach. They're looking for players, um, a whole new squad. I think it's exciting. I mean, as a... As a football director, um, you know, for me, having known Terry as long as I did and having worked with him at Sydney, and, you know, he was there and helped um, create that incredible squad that we have under Graham Arnold. You know, he worked very closely with Arnie in bringing players in, making sure they were the right players and, and you know, forming the right culture that, that we uh, that we had there. So I've, I've got no doubt that uh, Terry will, will do a fantastic job um, in setting that up. But... It's exciting, yeah, to be able to be there from from the beginning um, and and basically mould a team into the way that you want. I think is incredibly exciting for any football director. And um, for, look, again, no surprise that uh, possibly that Wellington are doing as well as they as they are. I mean, the, the thought of a new team uh, coming in and, and trying to take that uh, that spot off you in in, in New Zealand is enough to get any team going. So uh, I think it, it makes for a great derby next season. 
Yeah, nothing boots you up the bum like competition in your own backyard, doesn't <laughs> it, mate? Um, just a final one on, on the EPL. So Man City and Tottenham this morning, three all. I, I saw some of the highlights and some of the fallout on all of this. What was your take on that? So the Spurs sitting in fifth. We just heard from Ange Postacoglu earlier. He, he, he loved the theatre of it. I'm sure he'd love the win, but he loved the theatre of the whole thing. <laughs> As we all did, it's um, it's just great to see Ange doing what he's doing over there. You know, Pep Guardiola and Man and Man City, uh, one of the best managers, if not the best in the world, with one of the best teams uh, in the world. And and he's gone over there and you know had a spray at his players at half time because they weren't playing with the uh, yeah, I guess the style that he wants them to play. And and which is great to see. If you're going to go down, go down playing the way that. Um, that I want you to play, basically, you know, have no fear, go out there and, and carry out the game plan. If we lose, then it's on me. And and, and I love those words from uh, from Ange um, as a player as well to to have the backing of your manager to go out to say, you know, it doesn't matter who we play. Uh, you know, I want you to play the way I know you can. And if it if it doesn't work, then it's on me. I think that's incredibly refreshing to to hear as an outsider, but to see as well as a as a player, you know, and and. Um, yeah, I think an incredible result, three all for him. It gets things going again after a couple of hard losses, and hopefully he just continues to uh, to to go on and um, do what he's doing, Edge, because it's it's been fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking. So next time around, they've got West Ham, who are what four spots below them on the ladder. So that's uh, that's still ahead of them, of course. But yeah, the Ant Show rolls on. Good on you, Broski. Good to catch up, mate. Thanks for all of that. <laughs> no worries. Thank you. Alex Bross joining us there. So, yeah, next match for Tottenham, next Friday morning, our time. So um, that will be against West Ham. And the table below, as I mentioned, Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City, 1-2-3, and Aston Villa, 4. Then we've got Tottenham in fifth. Then it's Newcastle, Man United, Brighton, West Ham, down to Chelsea in 10th. Brentford, Crystal Palace, Wolves, Fulham, Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth and Luton Town 17th, Everton with their penalty in 18th, Burnley 19th and Sheffield United at the bottom of the ladder. Just the one win so far, two draws and 11 losses for Sheffield United. We're back after this after this break with your texts and calls, uh, 0457 736 736 on the text line. Some other sporting news on the business side of things coming from stateside. Remember last week we told you that Mark Cuban is selling the Dallas Mavericks and the deal is a big one, but it's probably bigger than what we think in the end. So when he purchased them, the valuation of the Dallas Mavericks in 2000 was $285 million. These are all US dollars. Selling for $3.5 billion. So $285 million in 2000, and now sale at $3.5 billion. No doubt about it, he turned them around. Their attendance rank in 2000 was 14th in the NBA. In 2023-24, they're first. He changed everything from the locker room, put the players in five-star hotels. He bought a jet firm for team flights. He hired more coaches and did the lot. So he's massively turned it around. But then you'll also remember that I told you about the Adelson family, Miriam Adelson, who is the largest shareholder of Las Vegas Sands Casino, and she will be purchasing 
the Dallas Mavericks for $3.5 billion. In fact, she had to fund um, $2 billion worth of stock to complete the deal, as in sell it off. So a lot of people are saying, well, hang on a second. Why is this going through? What's this all about? It's about gambling. Full stop. It's about the amount of money that they could possibly get by getting legalised casino gambling into Texas. There's been a huge lobbying play behind all of this. And by owning the club, this can now help the Adelson family get into what they really want into Texas, where they've been um, donating millions in political campaigns to get a resort and casino legislation bill passed. And bingo, you've got yourself not only a team, but everything around it where you can build a casino and a resort (laughs) and you're away. So that's what it's all about. Once you start to get a little bit uh, deeper than the surface of Mark already loaded, selling up to an already super loaded person, (laughs) it shows you the value of sporting franchises again around the world if they're in the right time, uh, right place at the right time and doing the right things, in this case, winning. And it would just perfectly work out if they can get that deal done and then introduce for them, introduce legalised casino gambling as part of it on the side. It's where sport and business collide. On the Warner issue, says Frank on the text line, good luck to him, but if you don't perform, you don't get selected. Mr. Healy didn't get his hometown goodbye. Thanks for that. Matt says, Matty, when you play team sports, you don't get on with everyone. Warner and Johnson never clicked. Apparently the training sessions were must-see, Matt. Uh, Thank you for that. Yes. Matty, we need to also take into account that without Warner hitting form in the one-day World Cup, we don't qualify for the semis. For what Warner has done for cricket overall and in every form, he deserves to be given that day in the sun, that one from Glenn. Look, oh, there's part of it, and when you listen to Tim Payne speak, there's part of it that are credits in the bank. There's no doubt about it. You, you get credits in the bank for what you've done. It doesn't, necess- it doesn't at all mean that you get that farewell that you wanted. It doesn't play out that way. Runs will determine selection in the team, essentially, and also the makeup of the team that the selectors want to go with. Credits in the bank play a part in that, but they don't deliver you that moment in the sun. And I think almost everyone understands that one. More NBA content. Talk about the 30-zip run the Mavs went on yesterday. Okay. Again, I didn't see it. Maybe you can tell me about it. Let me know about that. But that was the story behind the Dallas Mavericks on a business side. Let's go to the news. We're back after this. Uh, We'll go to the SEN newsroom first. Independent, trustworthy and dazzling. Time now for Tommy's Tribune. Ah, yes, it is. It's the day where we uh, recap the headlines from last week. And if you want to throw some headlines... I mean, we've had that much sport, Tommy, that we can certainly throw some headlines up this morning. And we've got the talking point around cricket, the talking point around golf balls, the talking point around uh, how it played out at the Australian Open, the lot. Good morning. Good morning, Matty, and all the listeners out there again. Yeah, another... Big big weekend, and but again, we're not really. We are talking about the sport, particularly the the golf this morning. But the biggest headline has been more well, Johnson just slams down 
Davey Warner. When I saw that article yesterday, I was I was taken aback. Um, but then, then again, if the last, what, 12 to 18 months has kind of really shown us, it's that Mitch Johnson, when he's riding for the Western Australian or Coast Sports or whoever, he's not taking a back foot for anyone, similar to what we saw in his um, his test career for Australia. Mm, yeah. I, look, I think that Tim Payne speaks a lot of sense in this one. If you if you don't want to read his opinion, don't read it. That That's fine. There's no problems about that. But we... And also, he's got the right to have that opinion. There's no dramas about that either. I I do see the other side, too, where a lot of people who were involved in the time that Mitchell Johnson was in his um, in his prime, he was very sensitive to criticism. He was very sensitive to public opinion and everything that went on. There was a whole stack of stuff going on there. So um, I, I don't think he's sitting back going, oh, well, everyone's having a crack at me. I think he's probably enjoying that. Yeah, the only thing I take umbrage, yeah, and I fully respect what um, what you say there, Matty, and what Tim Payne says. I think it was very because Tim Payne as well, his name also got brought up in the article written by Mitch Johnson, his relationship with George Bailey, um, and Tim said, "Look, I didn't agree with that stuff. I do agree to a certain extent with what you know, the stuff that he's talking about with David Warner, um, but he was very um, mature and I thought pragmatic about it. Speaking this morning on SEN Tassie with Brent Costello, Tim Payne." about the whole situation. The thing with Davey Warner, Matty, so you just go through his, his Australian test summer last year, played five test matches, as we know, against West Indies and South Africa. He had 315 runs at an average of 39.4. He had scores of 48, 5, 200, and then, of course, 200 in that Boxing Day double century and then a score of 10 at the SCG. So if you really, if you take out 200, he didn't have a score over 50. And he had one really good score of 48, and that was in that first innings of the first test match of the summer. So very, very up and down for Davey Warner. And we know what happened in England this year in the Ashes. He had some scores over 50. But again, for the majority of the time, Stuart Broad had his number. So I guess I understand where people are coming from because Brandy said it this morning as well, Matt. He goes, Davey Warner's a legend, but I think what's put people offside with him is that he's been calling when and where he's going to retire and when and where he's going to have that swan song where we haven't really seen that in the past. You know, correct me if I'm mistaken there or if someone else has done it. So I guess he's been a little bit confident, Davey, um, which is what he's done and what he's been throughout his whole career. But I guess that's probably putting some people offside where he's, he's been saying, look, I'm going to retire here. I'm going to retire at the SCG on my terms and my solid ground. But at the same time, if you're going to say that, you've got to back it up with your scores. And apart from that double century against a South African side at Boxing Day last year, he hasn't really done that in the past, what, 18 months in the test format. Hmm. I'm just trying to see. We need to go back and have a look as to exactly what David Warner said back then because it's my understanding, it was in June, that he was hoping that it would be a farewell from the SCG. And like I said earlier, of course you're going to answer that way. I mean, that's his hope and that would be his dream. So, of course, that's what he's going to say. And I'm trying to find the, the quotes around exactly what he said. But from what I can remember, and I've almost got it here, from what I can remember, he didn't say, I deserve to be in the in the SCG test um, because I deserve to have a farewell. He said, I've always said, here you go, I've always said 
that the 2024 T20 World Cup will be my final game, but I think I probably owe it to myself and my family. If I can score runs here and continue to play back in Australia, I can say I won't be playing the West Indies Test Series. If I get through this and I can make the Pakistan Series, I will definitely finish up then. I've always played every game as though it's my last. Um, it's my style of cricket. I just keep working uh, as hard as I can. So this was before the Test match against India and before the Ashes series. So that's kind of the sum of it, really. At no stage do I remember David Warner saying, I I deserve a farewell test. He said, well, I hope to be there. Yeah, well, there you go. And look, I think he's done enough in his career, as Tim Payne said this morning on SEN Tassie. I think he's done enough. He's got the credits in the bank. Bryce McGain said it with you last down, Matty, that, you know, can his short form... Um, cricket, as we saw in the ODI World Cup, where he was sensational, was in the team of the tournament. Can that translate? I'll still give him benefit of the doubt because he's done it time and time again, especially in Australia. I know takeaway last... I just went through those numbers. Although he did have that double century, takeaway last summer, he does score a lot of runs in Australia. We all know his problems away um, from the country, especially in England and in India, but always going to back Davey when it comes to batting in Australia. Matty, this, uh, I'll get to the headlines soon, but this Michael Maguire, Kiwis, um, Wayne Bennett situation, which we've been following at length. And I remember we, I can't remember if we said it on air, Matty, last week, or you asked me off air. You said, okay, well, what happens if Wayne Bennett puts his hand up and says, hey, New Zealand Rugby League, we've got a connection from 15 years ago. Um, I'm not going to be coaching in an official capacity after 2024, that NRL season, so uh, do you want... I'm free to go around again. They'd be foolish to not at least entertain the prospect of Wayne jumping back in an official capacity with them. Um, what do you think there, Matty? Because I think if he's available and they haven't hired either a Nathan Kaler or a Stacey Jones or, or someone else, then he is the pick to, to be the next coach of the Kiwis. Oh, I think he's. you absolutely have to look at that there. I just wonder whether they've sort of backed back themselves into a corner here with their explanation around why they didn't want to continue going with Michael Maguire. And the interesting thing is the pathways thing I understand, part of me understands that pathways. But the interesting thing is, here is that they're, they would now be asked to consider, and we're not saying that they're considering, but they would now be asked to consider a coach who's got a full-time job next year versus a coach who's got a five-month contract. A coach who I would suggest would probably have, if not more, perhaps equal influence on players and which path they would choose, whether or not he's state of origin coach, he's Wayne Bennett. So it appears to me as though they've... They might have backed themselves into a corner. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I think they might have backed themselves into a corner here with the explanations around why they didn't want Michael Maguire, who led them to that Pacific Championships victory, and why they would now want somebody like Wayne Bennett. Now, the easiest answer to get that is, um, the easiest way to get to that answer is, it's Wayne Bennett. And, of course, you'd be considering him. So it's it's an interesting one to see where they where they go with that. Yeah, look, again, if I had to put my money on it, not my money on it, but again, if he's available at that stage where they're negotiating, they're deciding who they should pick as their next Kiwis coach, he, they'd be foolish not to speak to him, not to speak to his management and offer him a deal. Um, if it's for two years, three years, however long Wayne wants. Again, if, and 
he would be a hard man to dictate as well, Wayne Bennett. Around, you know, Craig Peters has denied that they gave Michael Maguire an ultimatum about coaching the Blues or coaching the Kiwis. Um, imagine trying to give an ultimatum to Wayne Bennett. Um, Matty, before I go, I'll quickly recap some of the headlines I did last week. Um, so my first headline was in regards to the WBBL final, Brisbane Heat, the Adelaide Strikers. I was going to go all guns for Grace Harris. My headline was a graceful win for Brisbane. She got a, yes. um, a half century in a semi-final win. I thought she was going to get another half century and lead Brisbane to a win over Adelaide Strikers, but she got 15. So that was a no-go for headline number one. Second one, Win Woo Lee. Our man, Min, Min Woo Lee, coming up a win in the Australian PGA Championship. Thought he was going to go two in a row. Unfortunately, came third. And you're asking for mottos for Madge. And so the next yes. two aren't predictions, but I had In Madge We Trust for the Blues. And then after you revealed some of the figures that John Rahm was getting offered by Liv, the easiest headline there was just show me the money. Yep. Yep. So I, yeah, I reckon you. I reckon you. I mean, for a time there when Minwoo Lee was, was really close down that back run of the golf yesterday and Minji Lee was in the picture in the women's side as well, I thought, oh, we're going to have a, uh, we're going to have a win here on the Tribune, but not to be, not to be. That's all right. Good work, Tommy. Nice stuff. We will take a break. 0457 736 736. The bag says, I'm glad you read out uh, David Warner's quote. Doesn't deserve the hammering he's got on the back of those words. Thank you for that. That was in June. That That's what he said back in June. So it was about the expectation of a, a dream, essentially, of a farewell. Um, let me read you some more here. He said... Remains adamant he's not thinking about whether he's done a, done enough to confirm the booking for his Sydney retirement party against Pakistan. This was uh, an article by Scotty Bailey back in June. I've played enough cricket. I know I'm already at the back end. I'm going to enjoy that retirement. Um, the most important thing here, putting my best foot forward for the team, bringing the energy, put the numbers on the board for the guys. That's all I'm focused on. I'm not worried about my spot in the team. So I'm just struggling to find anywhere where he said, it's my spot, and I should have it for the SCG test. I don't think he's ever said that. Let's uh, continue with that discussion after this break right here on SEN. Welcome back. Just further to the cricket, I'll get to some of your texts in just a sec, but there, there is also, whilst all of that goes on around, you know, the David Warner scenario, there's, there's also the fact that the 14-man squad, that they've picked for the Pakistan series, needs to settle on an 11-man team doesn't it? And what happens, therefore, with Cameron Green? So, Mitch Marsh versus Green, um, how do you view this one and which way are the selectors thinking at the moment? Will George Bailey address that on what Cameron Green might need to do if he's to get back into this Australian Test team? Yeah, well, I, th- I think, um, you know, he's, he's a quality player, he's a young player, um, and I think any time you sort of see someone who you think is going to have a, a big impact along across a long period, um, particularly when and when they're going well, um, that's a, that's a great sign for the group. It puts it puts some um, you know, internal pressure on, on the guys to perform who are in there because you know you've got a, a really great player who's who's ready to go um, should the opportunity arise. And you know, expect that expect that from Cam going forward. I think there's some flexibility around where he can bat. So that's you know another great feather. In his cap, um, 
So yeah, I, I mean, there's, it's hard to sort of project where you see the summer going. There's plenty of things that can happen that that are out of your control. Um, but I imagine that it won't be too long before we see him back in in the um, in the test team. The Ashes was the first time that Mitchell Marsh, who came across to the UK essentially on a holiday, and then uh, ended up filling the spot that Cameron Green, because Green had a hamstring niggle. The Ashes was the first time that Mitch Marsh had played back-to-back first-class games in four years. So they had a bit of a job sort of managing all that, and then he comes in and goes crazy, and now they're in a bit of a quandary because they're trying to fit both in. Plus, Lance Morris is now in the mix as well. So what do you do there? Uh, Matty, if Warner gets, say, three tonnes in this series against Pakistan, does he retire? I think not. If he's in form, he's going to make the selectors make that decision. Well, that's an interesting question, Matt. And only David Warner will know that because he has said that he would retire after that Pakistan series. So his call to retire comes from him. The call to whether or not he's selected comes from selectors so you're right what if he what if he plunders the runs and then goes i might stick around for a while if the selectors will still have me oh dear see about warner if you look at it this way this is ben from spears point we're going to be playing sides that are on uh top of the world test cricket at the moment so his form shouldn't be all the selectors that aren't we aren't going to be playing sides on top of the world so his form shouldn't be all the selectors look at so I'd let him have his final game to be in Sydney. I think he deserves to go out on his terms. Tony says, thanks for reading Warner's comments. Read that last test. Unfairly treated on that one. But no matter what, him and Smith stuffed the love of cricket for a generation. Not today's generation, but the older people, even Douglas Jardine, would have been disappointed. Spring Farm Crusher says, with the new golf rule, at least it will shorten up my high knee walk in the rough by 20 feet while looking for my ball. <laughs> yeah, there's a, see, that's the way to look at it, Spring Farm Crusher. So you're, you're looking on how, to, on, on how to take advantage of the fact that you're going to probably hit it 20 yards shorter. <laughs> Go and have a look at the back and forth between, between some of the pros. Most of the pros, most of them, and I would say like almost 90% from what I've seen, most of the pros are saying... This doesn't all make sense. You know, why happy for him to do something with us, but why go and punish the world of golf? But then you start looking at the pros who have really thought it through and they're starting to have a little bit of back and forth. I mean, they're talking about the bigger picture stuff, sustainability of golf, sustainability of golf courses, all that. And that's where it really gets interesting. Uh, agree that some of Johnson's points are valid, but to go so hard and personal is poor form, considering that Johnson himself as a player was strong as a lemonade sandwich when any criticism came his way. That one from Matt on the Gold Coast. Matty, love the show. We watch sport to see the fastest bowlers, the fastest league players, the biggest servers in tennis and the longest hitters of a golf ball, etc. You cannot take away that from the sports fans. Regards, Blue Bags. Thank you for that, Blue Bags. We'll come back and wrap it up after this. Jimmy Smith, of course, coming your way and the run home as well later on this afternoon. Uh, just on the text line, one to finish on this one from Keres, I think it is. I'm not young, but I'm certainly not as determined to hang on to the sandpaper grievances that many seem to be. What is the point of the punishment if not to allow everyone 
to move on. Thank you for that. We'll no doubt have that discussion continued throughout the course of the day right here on SEN. Afternoons with Jimmy Smith is coming up. Jimmy Pearson will be joining Jimmy Smith, Trent Thomas, uh, Staffy along for the ride as well, and Zach Bailey. And the run home this afternoon with Joel and Fletch live from Moore Park Golf Club in Sydney, which has been in the news itself. So there'll be plenty for the boys to talk about from Moore Park this afternoon with the run home. That's it for today. The Sporting Week is off and running again right here on SEN. Thank you for all of your input. We will do it all again. Same time tomorrow morning. Come along and join us. Have a great day, everybody. Bye for now.